unto us. It's a great thought as we enter into this time of communion and time of observing the Lord's Supper and time of study of God's Word. He is faithful. When we are faithless, He is faithful. When we flounder and when we stumble and when we fall, He is faithful. It's a great old hymn that's filled with a lot of great theology and a lot of great truth, and it's appropriate for what we're doing here this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 6. We are continuing our study through the book of John, our, our worship through the book of John, if you will. We come this morning to verse 48, which is the, the backside of his, his discourse after feeding the 5,000 and talking about the bread of life. It, it's, it's, it's him coming and saying, this is what I'm showing you. This is what that sign means. This is what that miracle was all about. I had one little kid ask me last week, said, Pastor, did I understand you to say that all of chapter 6 is one sermon by Jesus? And I said, yeah, that's right, it is. Good thing, glad you're listening. He said, why are you taking five sermons to do it in? <laughs> well, that's probably a good question, but I want us to get it. I want us to understand what John is showing us through this discourse by our Lord and it's just appropriate that we come to this second half of his talking about the bread of life and we come to this table. It's appropriate that we come to this and we see what Jesus is saying to those who are listening several years before the actual institution of the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper, before he takes the Passover and says, this is what the Passover has been about for hundreds and hundreds of years, but now I'm redefining it. I want you to understand that the Passover that has talked about the, the freeing from Egypt of the children of Israel, the Passover that every year the Jews would observe and say, we remember this because God saved us out of Egypt. God brought us to the promised land. God did a work to rescue us. Jesus says, I want you to understand that this takes the rescue far, far deeper than the, the children of Israel ever understood. This is a rescue not just from slavery to the Egyptians, but this rescue, this table is, a, is illustrative of a rescue that saves us from the slavery of sin. Because we who are out of Christ, we before we were in Christ, we were slaves to sin. The scripture over and over again says that. He says, until you were in Christ, your master was sin. But in Christ you have been set free. And that's what Jesus is, is beginning to expound here that will lead up to that ultimate cross experience where he gives himself that we sang about so clearly this morning. Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 6 beginning in verse 48. Continuing though in this same discourse, this same sermon that our Lord is giving. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died because it was merely physical food. But this is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Now, the implication there is that this is the only bread 
the only bread ever, the only bread there has ever been, the only bread there will ever be that brings about eternal life. This bread is a magnificent bread. This bread is greater than any bread you could ever imagine. It's better than the manna that was provided in the wilderness. It's better than any bread you'll eat for daily sustenance today. This bread gives eternal life. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am. There's that ego I me again, the I am statements. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Not surprisingly, then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, verily, verily, Listen to this, listen to this. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. None. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I have because of the Father. I I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. Hear it clearly. Jesus is continuing in his metaphorical teaching about eternal life. No one in our day, and and none in his day who really had a spiritual insight, thought that Jesus was saying, here, here is my flesh, come and take a bite Come and eat of my literal, physical flesh, and you will live. Nobody thought. Matter of fact, the the Jews kind of thought, that's a strange thing to say, eating flesh, drinking blood. But he was speaking in metaphor. He was speaking in symbolism. He was speaking in a way to teach them a great, tremendous truth that if you only look at it on a physical level, you will miss it completely. And that's what the Jews were doing. They had no insight into this. They had no understanding in this. They knew to eat flesh was a cannibalistic kind of thing, and they thought it kind of strange that Jesus would start teaching his disciples that they were to be cannibals, and and how much of his flesh would there be to eat anyway? It would be gone fairly quickly, certainly wouldn't be around for us today. This literal idea caused the Jews to begin arguing among themselves, it says in verse 52. It kind of gives the idea that it's getting a little more intense. Back in verse 41, if you recall from last week, it says the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they said, listen, we know his mother and father. We know he's the son of Joseph. His father and mother we know. We've been around him. We've seen them. How can he now say, I am the bread of life that has come down out of heaven? Jesus is so desirous for you and me to understand the magnitude 
of his gift. The magnitude of his work that was going to culminate on the cross, it was going to culminate as a sacrifice, that was going to culminate as him being our substitute on the cross. But, but he, he realizes that man in his own strength, by his own intellect, in his own ability, has no understanding of what he's talking about whatsoever. As a matter of fact, when you look at this and you see that it says the Jews began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They began to argue saying, listen, what do you mean? He is saying to us that, that he is the one way to God. He is saying to us that he's the bread of life, that give, he's the bread that gives life. He's the one that's saying, if you want to have eternal life, you must eat of me. If you want to have life with the Father, if you want to know the Father, if you want to live, then you must do it through me and only through me. See, when he uses those ego I me statements, Greek, ego I me, that just means I am, he, we know that he's referring back to those, that voice that came out of the, the bush in the wilderness when, Mo, when God encountered Moses there and told him to go lead his children out of Egypt and out, of, of, out into the wilderness, out of the uh, slavery. We know that that's what he heard out of that voice, ego I me, I am shall send you. And, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying. The one who spoke out of that bush is I am, and I am the one who spoke out of the bush. I am he. That word carries with it an emphatic that we dare not miss. I am he, and only I am he. It's not a matter of, here's an option. Hope you take this option. Uh, many other options out there if you want to take them, but, uh, but I, I've got an option here for you. It's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, I'm the only option. I'm the only way to life. Now, there's a lot of ways it leads to death in, the, in Matthew's gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you know, broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. It's not a lot of options out there. There's only one option, and Jesus says, I am the option. Now, some scholars look at this and say Jesus really wasn't thinking about the Lord's Supper. He wasn't thinking about the bread and the wine that would ultimately be shared on that day in the, in the upper room with his disciples, that, that really he was just merely wanting to understand the absolute truth about the, the, the need of life and the bread that, that he is. He's wanting to understand that salvation, eternal life, Knowing the Father comes through Him, and there probably is some truth to that. But I want you to understand, when John wrote this book, he wrote this book collecting what he remembered about the Lord that the, the Holy Spirit brought to his mind. He wrote this book long after, or not long after, but a few years after the Lord's Supper had been instituted. And, and John looks back on that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and I think John is saying, listen, I want you to understand that what Jesus said in that upper room is what he was foretelling in this particular in this particular discourse, I want you to understand that what Jesus was saying in the upper room and, and showing us in the upper room by taking that bread and breaking it, by taking that cup of wine and blessing it and passing it around and saying, this bread is my body, this bread is my flesh. No, it's not literal flesh. It's not literal body. It's symbolic. It's metaphorical. It doesn't, we, we don't believe that when you put it in your mouth, it, it miraculously somehow changes to flesh. We don't believe that when you take that cup 
of the, of the, of the fruit of the vine and you drink it and it gets in your mouth, it, it somehow magically and mysteriously becomes literal blood. We don't believe that. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I want you to understand that to believe in me, to believe that I am the I am, to believe that I am who I say that I am, is in a very spiritual sense, eating my flesh and drinking my blood, confessing me to be the only Savior, confessing me to be the only sacrifice, and in other words, not grumbling and not arguing and not disputing, but simply acknowledging, Jesus, you are who you say you are, and you are, you are everything you say you are. What you say is the absolute truth. C.S. Lewis famously said that if the gospel is, of, is not true, it is of no concern. If the gospel is not true, it is of no concern. If the gospel is true, it is of absolute concern. But the one thing it is not is of moderate concern. Meaning, if Jesus is telling us the truth, it is the only truth that is worth basing your life on. It's the only truth you can base your life on. If it's not true, if he was some kind of lunatic or some kind of liar, if he was some kind of guy just trying to deceive the masses and build a, build a movement himself, then it's absolutely ludicrous that we're even sitting here this morning. It's either absolutely true it's not true at all. It's certainly only moderately of moderate concern. In other words, if the gospel is true, it's not a matter of just saying, well, okay, I'll think about it. Maybe it was. Maybe I'll look at it. Maybe I'll follow. Maybe I'll believe. Maybe I'll eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. Maybe I'll become a disciple. Maybe I, I don't know. If what Jesus is saying here is true, it's written in the prophets, and the prophets foretold this, the Father has sent me, the Father has, come, has sent me down here, I have come down out of heaven, I, I, it's not a matter of me coming down and saying, okay, now I'm going to become a God-man, I am God in the flesh, it's not a matter of, uh, of Jesus somehow self-actualizing and, and, and realizing who he was one day and saying, oh, wow, I've I've got something special. No, it's a matter of he knew who he was, and when he was in that manger, he was, a, he was, he was Almighty God. You ever thought about that? As he lay in that manger, we'll be celebrating that in a, few, in a month and a half or so, and, well, the stores will start celebrating it probably this week. Uh, some of them already, already are probably. Celebrating it is kind of a wrong term for it, but, but they'll start talking about it. That one line in that manger was not some little helpless baby that had no real, nothing but just like any other baby. That baby was Almighty God in the flesh. Now, he was God-man in, in his human nature, as we talked about last Wednesday night in our study on 
on theology. He, he, he was a baby. He had all the, the non-sinful infirmities of humanity. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He got tired. As a baby, he had to be carried about and he had to be fed. But that was God in the flesh in that manger. Sometimes hard to put your hand, head around. And he grew up, and he came to this point, and he said, I'm the bread of life that comes down out of heaven. I came down out of heaven 30 years ago. But I am the bread that has come down out of heaven to give life to all who eat, all to drink, who drink, all who believe and follow. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood shall have eternal life, has eternal life, not will have, not going to get, but has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's not absolutely completed here, but it's absolutely sealed here. That's what he's saying. And when he came on that night in the upper room with his disciples, and he came to that table, and he broke that bread, and he poured that wine, and he looked at them, and he said, listen, I want you to know this bread is my body, this, this, this wine is my blood. It's poured out for you. It's given for you. It's exactly what he was saying in John chapter 6. When he said, I'm the bread of life. If you eat of me, you'll never hunger again, spiritually. If you take of this bread and eat it, you will be mine. Now, the symbolism carries on. He was talking metaphorically there. We're talking metaphorically here. When we take that bread and take that cup, we're not literally drinking body, eating body and drinking blood, but we are, we are symbolically saying, I have eaten of him. I have believed in him. I have trusted him. I, I know him. And I'm communing with him here right now to remember what he did on that cross that set us free and will forever set us free. That's what the Scripture is saying. That's what Jesus is saying in this particular discourse. And as we come to this table, we come to this table with a desire to know him better, with a desire to commune with him, with a desire to say, Lord, thank you. We come to this table to eat and remember and worship. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. As we pray and prepare ourselves for this, for this meal, I'm going to ask those who are going to be serving to come forward and prepare themselves. You continue to pray. You continue to ask the Lord, Lord, have I by faith eaten of this bread and drank of this cup? Not physically, not just taking it off the tray and doing it. I mean, anybody can do that wrongly. But have I by faith trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? And have I by faith tasted of his goodness and his grace?
As we come to this table, I invite you, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, a baptized believer, I invite you to share in this meal with us whether you're a member of Grace Baptist or not. This is the Lord's meal. It's not our meal. It's for all disciples. It's all for all believers. If you're not a believer, I ask you just to let it pass by if you've never trusted Him. And I ask you to think about what each element means. This is symbolic of my body, which hung on the cross. This, it was given as a sacrifice and a substitute. This cup represents my blood, which is the blood of the new covenant. This was read earlier from Luke 22, that is poured out for you to seal the new covenant. Think about that. He died that you might believe in him and might have eternal life. I invite you to Christ today, even as we observe these elements. bread and the cup come around, I ask you to take it and hold it that we might all eat and drink together when that time comes. Scripture says on that night he blessed the bread and blessed the cup. He began to tell the disciples all that was going to unfold in the next few hours. They didn't like it. They didn't even believe it. But it was true. Father, as we come to this table, as we look at this bread and this fruit of the vine, this juice, this representative of your blood, Father, I pray that during this moment you will help us meditate on that, that death that was given in our place and help us rejoice in the resurrection you came forth from the grave three days later. Sacrifice in our place, raised to life to show your victory over death and your ability to give eternal life. Father, use these elements to help us think about your glory and about your grace. We pray in Jesus' name.
the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending His own Son in the likeness of human sinful flesh, And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, mind set on the spirit is life and peace because the mind set on flat on the flesh is hostile toward God for it does not even subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so and those who are in the flesh cannot please God We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And these He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? For he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the Word of God.
And the scripture, as we've already talked about, says that on that night he took the bread, blessed it, and passed it among them. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. This is my body, which hung on the cross. Take and eat it, and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took a cup. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. The new covenant. Whereby all men that are in that covenant will know me and know my Father. And their sins will be forgiven. And they shall live forever because they're eating the bread, drinking the cup, drinking the blood, symbolically of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, take this and drink it. And do this in remembrance of me. Then the scripture says they sang a hymn and they went out. Within hours he was arrested after praying with his disciples. Just a few more hours he was crucified and hung on a cross. And there he died, that our sins might be forgiven, that we might know God. No other, no other reason. It's not a failure. It was an absolute success. We're going to sing a hymn together, The Power of the Cross. What a great song to sing after that. We also sing as a hymn of commitment, a hymn of invitation. You have, if, if God has worked in your life today, even just through observing these elements, and you want to come and say, Bill, how do I know Christ? How can I trust Him? How do I metaphorically eat of this bread and drink of this cup? You come. We'll talk. I'll put you with somebody else to, to talk. I'd love to see you come to Christ today if you don't know Him. I invite you to Christ. And then as we leave here, I remind our, our members, no one else but Grace members, that we take our Karis offering our grace offering on Sunday morning at the end in some buckets that goes for benevolent needs within our body. So just pray about that and pocket change or whatever you can put in there. Please be faithful to do that. As we stand together, as we sing together, as God leads in your life, you come. Let's stand together and sing the power of the cross.